This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. Wow, what an exciting Sunday. Well done to all those parents who are stating to us and to your little kids, although they don't know it yet, that you are going to raise them in the ways of God and set a great example. What a joy and what a challenge parenting is. Before I get into today's message, which I'm really excited about, I've, had, I've been very burdened this week for all that's been happening in the Ukraine, and uh, I don't pretend to be clever enough to understand all the reasons behind all of that, but that doesn't stop us to praying to a God who knows everything. I'm going to ask Bill to come up and join me. He knows a little bit of Russian, and uh, so I've asked him to come and help me pray, and I think the, the subject of our prayers, if you're praying privately for this, should be to the God of all the nations. He's got people, his children are in all of these nations. I've actually met a number of Ukrainian pastors and leaders at the church in Germany that we often visit there. I know there's many people in Russia who love God, that through this crisis, the gospel would go out into people's lives through all of the trauma that's happening there. So I'm going to ask Bill to pray, and then we'll move on after that. Thanks, Bill. Right, can we bow our heads, please? Oh, Slava Tibir, Nashbog. Chvala, Islava Tibir. Sevodna Nashbok, Sevodna Mi Molimsa Zamir Ne Vonia Mir Ukraina Irusia Sevodna Pajalsta Nashbog. Oh, Hvala Tibia Zavot Isusa Christos. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, Paul. Really appreciate that. So if you're joining us for the first time today, you might not be aware, but we're doing a six-week series using this workbook that we put together over the last six months called Purpose. They are available at the Connect stations, incidentally, still. But if you've been tracking with us, which hopefully is most of you, we're on page seven in these workbooks today. That's place to write down your notes. Hopefully, if you're at home, you're following along as well. And then at our life groups this week, page eight and nine of these workbooks are where the fill-in words are for the midweek videos uh, that are coming up. And I've been really enjoying the discussions that have been generated around this, this idea. So we've been asking the question, essentially, what is your and my purpose here on earth in this gift of a lifetime that we get? I guess there's two ways to go about discovering our purpose. The first one we could say is speculation. Just trying to take our best guess as to the meaning of life. There was a man named Hugh Moorhead who was a philosophy professor at a major American university and he set out to write a book called The Meaning of Life. And the way he went about it is he wrote to 250 of the most world-renowned intellectuals and thinkers. And he said to them, send me back what you think is the meaning of life, and he's going to put it in this book. Some of the replies that he got, some, some of those, these are now 250 of the best-known intellectuals in the world, some of them said there is no purpose in life. You're born, you live, you die. Others admitted that they had made up for themselves a purpose in life. Some just said they were clueless, and some even asked for the book once it was written so that they could discover what their meaning in life was. I'd like to suggest that there's another way to find out our purpose in life is using a Bible word we can ask for revelation. It comes from the word revealed. So instead of speculation, we're looking for revelation that God would reveal to us 
what our purpose is here on earth. When you've got an invention, you could ask the inventor, what's this thing meant to do? When you've got a creation, us, we get to ask the creator, what are we meant to do? And we find in the Bible five big purposes that every human being is designed for. Last week, we tackled purpose number one, is we are designed for a relationship with Christ. Number one was Christ. That was last week. This week, we're looking at our second great big purpose that all of us are designed for, which is my title for today's message. My purpose is Christ-likeness. My purpose is Christ-likeness, or to put it another way, we're designed to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's one of our purposes. Listen to how passionately Paul puts this writing to some of the Galatian churches. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's the key phrase there, until Christ is formed in you. In other words, one of our major purposes is not what we do, it's who we are becoming. We were designed to become more and more like Jesus Christ, the greatest human who ever lived on the face of the earth, God who came to earth in flesh as the person Jesus Christ. Today, to give you a bit of a roadmap, I'm gonna ask three major questions and they're my three points. There are some sub points for each, so if you're taking notes, hopefully you can keep track from the lines that come up on the screen. I'm also gonna read from Philippians chapter two as some of my verses for today. I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but you might like to go in this week, read Philippians 2 for yourself. It is an amazing, amazing chapter. So the first question I'd like to ask and try and answer is why do we need to change? Why do we need to change? In Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Just by the way, is there anyone here today that you've got this completely nailed? You score 100% on that instruction. Okay, so there's your answer. That's why we need to change. But listen to what Paul goes on to say. It's quite profound. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Those words warped and crooked are the important ones there. Paul says that the culture of his day and of every century is a warped and crooked generation. You might say that's pretty strong stuff, but it's actually true. Warped and crooked means to be bent, it's not straight. And as mankind, we have this tendency to take the good gifts that God gives us and to warp them, to crooked them, if you don't mind my uh, English there. We take things like God's food and drink that were designed in a good way, and we find ways to make them into pathways for gluttony and addictions. Financial provision, which is God's good gift to us, gets warped to become greed and an endless desire for more stuff. We take God's great gift of sexual intimacy and we warp it into lust and loveless pornography. We take the natural world and all of the, the brilliance God's placed around us and as mankind we exploit it and without any future thought to generations to come. We as mankind, we're warped the right. To put it in Bible language, the seed of sin has taken root in the hearts of mankind. And it's warped us, it's left us crooked in every way, physically, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, morally, and spiritually. Now, 
let me hasten to add that that doesn't mean we're all brute savages doing as much evil as we can every single day. But it does mean that at the heart of the matter, mankind is warped and crooked. To use an illustration, let's say that we could get electrodes and put them on your skull. And then here on the screen behind me, we could display all the thoughts that you've thought, everything that's gone through your brain and mine. Let's be kind of the last month. How many of you would come back here next Sunday just to have a little debrief with everybody? Why? Because truth be told, we know we're a work in progress, that everything that happens up here is not stuff we'd want the rest of the world to know. It's because of this warpness and crookedness that dwells deep down in the hearts of mankind. And the beautiful thing about God's great rescue mission in the world is Jesus has come to put straight the things that were crooked. He's come to take the warpness that lives in our souls and to straighten it out over the course of a lifetime. And the straightest, if you use this metaphor, the straightest human being who was absolutely unwarped and uncrooked, Jesus Christ says, come and follow me, become like me, and I'll straighten out all the warpness and crookedness that you were born into the sinful state. Isn't that great news? I think it is. I think it's amazing news. So second question, what then does it mean to be more like Jesus? If we had enough time, I could invite you together with me to just write down a list of what does it mean to be more like Jesus? What did Jesus have that we are becoming? We could fill an entire page, pages in fact, with the brilliance that is Jesus Christ. But I'd like to pick up on two things today from Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight. And Paul says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. And then he describes Jesus's attitude, who being in very nature God, in other words, he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what does it mean to you and I to become more like Jesus? Two things out of this verse. Firstly, we need to be more humble like Jesus. Paul is using the, the best example in the world that exists of humility. He says, Jesus Christ was God and dwelled with God and yet did not consider that something to be held onto, but came to earth taking on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. Those are the words Paul uses. In other words, Jesus came to show us that although God is all powerful, that God is not a selfish, self-absorbed, loveless, power-hungry, dominating God. But through his actions, Jesus shows us that he is down to earth, literally down to earth. He, Jesus, was ready to relate to people of all different social backgrounds. People of his day that others considered to be the lowest of the low. Jesus was interacting, hanging out, connecting with them. He showed us what God is like. 
Jesus was not self-promoting. He came ready to serve. And so when I say, Jesus, what is my purpose? And he says, become more like me. That's not stepping up onto the throne of the world and telling everyone what to do. That is actually becoming more humble. And this is my second point. It, to be more like Jesus means to be more sacrificial in our love. Oh, this is challenging. Let me tell you why. Wired into the hearts of every one of us is how we do love in the world. And I'm, I love I'm speaking about friendships, connection, marriages, parents, it's children, the whole lot. We are wired, the crooked warped state of love is transactional. If you do this for me, then I'm willing to love you back. If you're kind to me, I'm willing to be kind back. If you don't take advantage, etc. And crashing into that self-absorbed version of transactional love comes Jesus Christ with a completely different version of love. And suspended between heaven and earth, if you ask the question, how much does he love me? He stretches out both hands. He says, this much. He hangs on the cross being crucified by the people that he came to love and save. And the wounds of the beating and the bruising that were on his body, the Bible tells us become the wounds through which grace and love flow out, reaching down through the ages even to you and I. Jesus Christ responds to the fists of hostility with the kiss of grace. He lays down his life for us. We didn't even know him, didn't appreciate it back then. And so I line up and I say, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. What do I need to do? He says, well, you need to become more like me. I'm chiseling away all the self-absorbed, selfish, transactional version of love that you, Steve, come with. And I want to put in you a deep humility and a sacrificial kind of love that doesn't just look to get, but looks to give and to give and to give. Jesus, in other words, wants to take the crookedness of what I think is normal and straighten it out so I become like him, the greatest human who ever walked the face of this earth. In the eyes of the world around us, this kind of language of humility and sacrificial love is a surefire way just to get run over and trodden down. This isn't the message that's preached by cultures around us. And yet amazingly, the very next verse, after the ones I just read, that says he became obedient even to death on a cross, say this about Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, the humble, self-sacrificing Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we realize that in God's economy, when I become more Christ-like, I follow him into humility and love that is more sacrificial. And I simultaneously follow him into being exalted by God because I'm becoming more like Jesus Christ. But it's not in this worldly, dominating, domineering, selfish, self-absorbed kind of way. It's the humble, gentle, God-exalting version of my life. Which brings me to this really important third question. How do we become more like Jesus? If we could just click a finger, this would be easy. But this is a process. And by experience, it is difficult and it's on a constant journey. How does this change happen? Philippians 2, I'm going to verse 12 and 13. I'd like you to look out for the word work. 
that comes up in this passage. Paul writes, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work in order to fulfill his good purpose. So with regards to our salvation journey of becoming more like Jesus, who does the work? Interesting answer that Paul gives us, you should do the work. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then the very next phrase, he says, because it's God who does the work. So let me try and put this into a maths equation. 100% of God's work plus 100% of my work equals transformation. I can't just sit back and say, well, I'm going to let God transform me. Equally, I shouldn't get into the mindset that this is all up to me. Let's take these two, God's work and my work, and dive into it a little bit. So firstly, God is doing a work in me. There are some things that only God can do and has done. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross, as I described, and rose again. He took the penalty for my sin. I could never do that for myself. God invites me into a relationship with him and invites me to join his amazing family, the church. God gives me his word, the Bible, in order to understand what he's really like. On top of that, by his Holy Spirit, he nudges, guides, corrects, challenges, and inspires me day by day to live a life and become more like him. This is the work that only God can do and has done. Isn't this good news? Thank you to the two of you. <laughs> Many of you know that nearly three years ago, gorgeous little girl joined our family. She was six years old at the time. And on her first night, the day she arrived in our family, some of the expert advice that we took, because we were clueless, it was a suggestion made to us that as a family, the four of you should invite her to join your family. And so with this really terrified little thing, we sit on the floor in her bedroom and go around the circle and say, please, would you join our family? And she just nods a yes. Separately to that, it was amazing. Separately to that, a legal process unfolds that she actually has no knowledge of, that Jackie and I were involved in whole sequence of events that culminated in last year us receiving a document back from the department, government stamp on it, that had this incredible line in it. According to the provisions of section 242 of the Children's Act, your adopted child is now for all purposes regarded as your child as if born to you, and you are now for all purposes regarded as the parent of the adopted child. It's done. Guess how much she did for that document to be done? She just said, yes, I want to join your family. Just, everything else was done by Jackson. I, now, the beautiful thing is that when God invites me to join his family, he says, Steve, we want to rescue you from a life of selfishness, self-existence, this warped, crooked way of thinking and living. I invite you into my family. And I say, yes. And everything else to enable me to become as if a son born to him happens on his side of the equation. That is God's work that only he can do. But 
The next morning when Trinity wakes up in our family, there's a whole lot of work that she still needs to do. She's got to decide to get up. She's got to decide to eat her breakfast. She's got to decide to get dressed and go to school and do her homework. She's got to decide to have a good attitude and be generous and kind, et cetera, et cetera. That's part of the journey she's on. And so God's work is this side, but then I need to do 100% my work. There's some things that God can't do for me that I should be doing. Remember the verse we just read, Paul said, I beg your pardon, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you want to know what the pathway is to becoming more like Jesus Christ? Paul says the starting point is an attitude of fear and trembling. You're like, well, that's a little bit weird. Well, actually not, because throughout the Bible, we see this idea that the fear of God, the reverence of God, the awe of God is the pathway to wisdom and to transformation. And what so many of us get wrong is we think it's just like, hey, me and Jesus, yeah, this is cool, the man upstairs, you know, we're just gonna hang out. One day I've got a lot of questions for him that he's gonna have to answer. And Paul says, that you're not changing at all if that's your attitude. In fact, you should be very nervous. You wanna know this is the God who rules the universe. He is large and in charge. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords and he's invited you to join his family. And in a fear and awe-inspired way, I choose to follow him and I change. And my journey then, my work is to make good choices. Make good choices, make the right choices that he shows me. God can't make these choices for me. So one of these choices that we should be making is to choose to spend time with God. Choose to spend time with God. How many of you know that we are designed to become like the people we spend time with? If you hang out with certain kinds of people over a length of time, you'll become like them, which is why picking friends is important. But what about becoming more like Jesus? If I want to become more like him, what should I be doing? Spending time with him. And so it's an amazingly good decision that we make for ourselves when we say, God, daily if possible, I'm gonna set aside some time to connect with you. Some of my most precious moments in my week, and this is over the course of the majority of my life, because my parents modeled this for me. I spent time with him reading his word, and I don't understand everything I, I read first time around. Sometimes even 10th time around, I'm still figuring it out. But the action of letting God's, work get in, God's word get into my soul transforms me over time. And then another part of my relationship with him is talking to him and more importantly, listening to him in prayer. I often do that by walking because it keeps me focused. I'm going somewhere. And walking and talking to God, him, sometimes it's just a sense of peace. Sometimes it's a little nudge on my soul. Wimble, what you just did there today, that wasn't the right way to act. And sometimes I feel discouraged. I'm, oh God, I thought, we'd, I thought I'd dealt with that stuff and figured it out. And here I am behaving in unpleasing ways to you all over again. And then he strengthens me and encourages me. Well, don't give up. Keep, let's keep moving forward. Oh, well done. Don't get discouraged. Keep doing the next best thing, the next right thing to do. This is communication this way. And I become more and more like Jesus. It's, it's taken a long time so far. It's gonna take the rest of my life to pursue this but we become more and more like him as we spend time with him. And then on top of that, we should choose to follow his nudges. <clears throat> I read in the Bible, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And then I forget that verse. And the next bad thing that happens, the next thing, ah, I just start grumbling. I pick on the easy things. I grumble about the government. and Then I get this little nudge. 
wait a minute, you weren't designed to be a grumbler. Oh, Lord, thank you for reminding me. I'm going to follow that nudge. I'm going to become a conduit of kindness and care and hope. And then I get a little bit complaining, I get a little bit critical, which is quite easy to do. I heard somebody say this, you don't need much to be critical, just one eye and one brain cell. And I recognize that critical change and, the un, and God's nudging me. And if I choose to follow the right nudges, I move forward. I become more like him. When I ignore them, I regress a little bit, again, over the period of time. But here's the amazing courage that we can draw. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says this, in the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weaknesses. In other words, it's not like God fires the starting gun of my life here and then waits me at the finish line with the checklist and says, okay, how did Steve do in becoming more like Jesus? Oh, here's your final score. Along the journey, Christ is living in me and the Holy Spirit is helping me overcome my weaknesses day by day. This is great news. God is doing his work. When I couple that together with my work, I move forward and I change. Let me use a metaphor as we come into land. <clears throat> Let's imagine that you had to cross an ocean. And using this metaphor, some people lean towards, I've got to do it all myself. How am I going to cross the ocean and become more like Jesus? They've got the picture in their minds of a rowboat. It is all up to you in a rowboat. You've got to get the oars. I've got a picture of the rowboat there. There we go. You get the oars and you've just got to paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle and you get tired, but you just got to paddle. People who live in the rowboats have got this philosophy as they say, God helps those who help themselves. Then on the other side, there's people who lean in the completely opposite direction and their view of transformation is more like a raft. <laughs> their motto is let go and let God. And wherever the drift goes, wherever the current goes, we just go along with that. Actually, neither of those pictures are strictly speaking biblical. We are called to work, but we're also called to trust Him. So as a final metaphor, a sailing ship would be a better analogy of transformation. You see, on a sailing ship, there's lots of work to be done, including hoisting the sails and steering the ship. But the forward movement happens because of the wind, which is something the sailors don't need to conjure up. And so my work is hoisting the sails, <clears throat> steering the direction, making correct choices. But what I can't do, God does for me. I hoist the sails into the wind that the Holy Spirit provides in my life. And suddenly I'm moving forward much further than my own efforts will take me. Not just the rowing boat, not the raft, but the sailship going forward by His grace. So let's summarize what we've discussed so far today. First of all, I asked, why do I need to change? Is because I'm come from a setting and internally of being a warped and crooked generation and Jesus wants to straighten me out. What does it mean to be more like Jesus? So many things, but we picked on two today, to be more humble and to be more sacrificial in our love. And how do we become more like Jesus? We need to lean into his 100% work with all of our hearts and at the same time combine that with our effort so that like the sailship, our effort catches the wind of his grace and we move forward that over the course of a lifetime, we fulfill part of purpose number two, which is to become more like Jesus Christ. Please, would you stand with me as we pray? I'd like to pray two parts to this prayer this morning. If you're watching from home, 
hope that you're standing up together with us as well, just in a, in a mode or attitude of prayer. The first part of the prayers, I'd like to pray for anybody that's here who, in a spiritual sense, you've never become part of God's family. Maybe you've drifted far from Him. You've lost connection with God the Father. And as you heard that story of our adoption journey, you realize, man, that's, that's my spiritual space. And Jesus, through me, is extending an invitation to you saying, would you like to join the family? I'd love to lead you in a prayer that says, God, I'm sorry for doing things my own way. In fact, I'd like to invite all of us to close our eyes and bow our heads together. And if that's you this morning, and you're spiritually far from God or you've never had a connection with Him, would you raise your hand in the air that I can know who I'm praying for and with this morning? Anybody like that today? My relationship's far from God or I've never had one. Today I'm responding to His invitation to become part of His family. Anybody like that? Right up there in the balcony, thank you. Is there anybody else? the side as well. Thank you so much over here. A few hands going up all over the place down there under the balcony as well. Thank you. Once you've raised your hand, please feel free to put it back down again, but I invite you to pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive me for doing things my own way. <coughs> Thank you for inviting me into your family. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I want to follow you with all my heart. I want to become more like you as I live out my journey on planet earth. And then I want to be with you for all eternity. Thank you for adopting me into your family today. In Jesus' name. And Father, for those that have prayed that prayer, as well as for all of us, I know that there are things that you've been nudging us on to change and to grow in small sin areas in our lives that we sometimes defend. We say, ah, that's just me. I'm just human. But you want us to live differently. You want us to become more Christ-like. And I pray that today we would follow your nudges, knowing that you've done this work for us. We want to do our work and our part by choosing to follow the nudges, choosing to spend time with you. We love you, Jesus Christ. And we can only say that because you loved us first. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.